Welcome to the Rugby Bits podcast and we are back from a little break that we took last week and we're here to talk some rugby and other things as well. Um, Tala, I'm joined by Sean and Cooks today. Um, I think just judging from our pre-chat before the before we started recording that both or well, all three of us are still easing our way back into a rugby schedule after the Rugby World Cup. Cooks, um, I hear you had a pretty traumatic time with your first rugby match since the World Cup. Oh man, well, it was a tough start. I mean, I had to watch the Sharks lose to Zebra on Friday night, so it was a it was a tough reintroduction back into domestic rugby. Uh, oh man, I, uh, I, I'm not going to get myself worked up because I know there's still a long way to go in this competition. But um, I really, I was really looking forward to a full weekend of domestic rugby. The off the Sharks game, actually, that was the only game I watched this weekend, and I went straight back to the cricket World Cup. Fair enough. Look, yeah, if you are the team that gives Zebra their first win in 18 months, yeah, that is pretty traumatic. Sean, uh, how are you doing? Hi. How's it coming back into the swing of things with the rugby? Yeah, it's good. Hi, you, man. It's It's been weird. So I I didn't watch a lot of rugby this weekend, but I, cooked, I did watch the Sharks game. Um, But yeah, last week I watched quite a bit, and but it was nice kind of blocking like kind of stopping a season almost and starting a season kind of like things are going now i don't know how to explain it but yeah it was a little mini break it was amazing actually i'm still buzzing from the world cup like i could <clears throat> cooks and i are going to start our own separate podcast just where we talk about the 2023 rugby world cup <laughs> um <clears throat> we're gonna probably do like a little half an hour this is what this kind of shit we're thinking about and just talk about it because I could probably talk about it for another year. There's so much I still want to unpack. There's so many games I still want to rewatch and look at things. I want to see where people went wrong. What I do want to do, actually, I was actually going to pop it on the group and I forgot to. But remember before the World Cup, we did a lot of bits and pieces on like best case scenario, worst case scenario for teams and where guys are going to finish and what can we expect and all that sort of jazz. I definitely want to go back and look back and, and re-listen to those and then we should probably pull some sound bites out of that and have a little closing off World Cup podcast. Maybe I don't know. I don't know if that will be enough closure for me. Yeah, we can. I mean, I think today we'll look. We'll st- we'll start by looking at uh, or reviewing and just thinking about what, yeah, what's the what situations the teams find themselves in post World Cup and and to look at you know what way to all of the teams go from here and then we'll just touch on the URC and just try to reclimatize ourselves to see what's happening on the URC log. And and maybe Cooks will jump off for that part of the podcast so that he doesn't have to see where the Sharks <laughs> are on the URC log. Um, so yeah, Sean and Cooks, this is actually your idea on the group, which, which is basically we wanted to look through each of the teams and just go, hey, what's going to happen for these teams going forward? We can start with the world champions, the Springboks. You, we've seen, well, in the last week they had the the trophy tour celebrations. Some of the players have come back into domestic rugby with um, uh, the likes of Pollard and Visa and Esthazen back in the Premiership and some back in the French top 14 as well. Um, we know that Jacques Minab has joined, the, the, um, joined Leinster. It's pretty much confirmed, or at least it's been heavily rumored that Rassi Rasmus will be the interim head coach um, for the time being. So, Cooks, I want to start with you. 
with with the Springboks, I mean, there's a few players that are going to be in the other side of 30. We know Dwayne Vermeulen has retired and, and all that sort of stuff. Where where do they go now? Like, what's what are the next few th- or what are the things that Rassi, I guess, needs to do as director of rugby slash interim head coach for for the for preparing for the for the next um, next World Cup cycle? I think we're in a very exciting stage, you know. I think obviously, I think the one thing that we definitely won't do is have any more bus tours in East London. That's for that's for damn sure. That's uh, I'm just going back there. Um, <laughs> but um, the big one, I think, from what, what makes this one so exciting next year is the fact in 2020 we didn't have the year after the World Cup where we could sort of have a year to 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 to, to blood some youngsters in, tweak a few things in the game plan, sort of figure things out. And I think the Springboks, not not that, not saying next year is a free pass. I think they've earned almost a freeish pass to, to experiment a little bit more. So I'm excited to see how they're going to manage that. I think obviously there are going to be hard decisions um, about who's about the guys over 30. I, I don't see a drastic six guys retiring. I, I won't be. I, I, I can see quite a few of the core of this year going through maybe to 2025, and then sort of. From there, decisions being made of where to go, how many guys sort of will, will carry on to the next World Cup. Um, I think for me, the biggest thing is, this is my hot take, what I would introduce in second rugby sabbaticals. I would I would call Sia, Eben, Kitsi, France. I'll call them in my office and say, listen, chaps, enjoy club rugby next year, but you're not wearing it. You're not playing green and gold next year. You're taking the year off. Come back into the year 12 if, if needs be, but no, Eben, no Sia, no Kitsy for the junior, junior, I know we play Ireland, but for the junior nationals and then for the rugby championship, I think we've got to find ways to rest those guys. I think next year is a possible time, especially if you're thinking of keeping those five who could be our call for 2020, uh, for 2027. So, yeah, I think for the box, obviously it's I mean, adding more depth um, and, and trying to make, and, and trying to see and, and, and start the building blocks of going back to back to back. I think that, I, I see that's a big challenge for them. I think something, Rassi, we're not taking this job. He felt he, he didn't have much left to give. I, I, I got a feeling that for them, the three-peat is never been done before. And Rassi's a mad scientist. He's like, I can imagine if I can bring three of these things in a row. And I think a lot of these players, the guys are kids them, that, that will motivate them for another four years, possibly. Yeah, just to go through the squad quickly on who's going to be over 30 by 2027. Malcolm Marks, Bongi Bonambi, Stephen Kitzel, Vincent Koch, Franz Malala. Actually, let's say who won't be over 30. That's probably much easier. Um, basically, it's you have to go to the, the back line. It's Jaden Hendricks. Um, it's Damien Willems. It's um, Kanan Moody. And that's pretty much it in terms of play, players that won't be over 30. Most of the other players that are in the squad that have been obviously regulars for the last few years are all going to be either in their early to mid or late 30s. So it will be, I think, Cooks's idea on a sabbatical might be um, optimal as well. Sean, in terms where's of... It, the, where's the sweet yeah. spot? Sorry, Tala, where's the sweet spot in, in terms of age? They say at least with... I mean, the Springboks are pretty much in that sweet spot right now. Like, yes, have that's what a I'm lot thinking. of people in the sort of like that early 30s, they're still in their peak of the powers, but have enough experience as well. Obviously, they have all the caps in the world. You don't want to age the squad. Like, I think that's kind of what happened to Wales in the last few years, that all these players that pretty much played together from 
before the 2011 World Cup came to 2021-2022 and yeah things just sort of fell off obviously the coaching didn't help as well but Sean I was going to ask you about that coaching situation obviously it sounds like Rossi will continue as head coach pretty much is that something that needs to be sorted out and how do you think he'll go about maybe getting some fresh voices and new blood into that coaching staff yeah, I was thinking about this the last couple of weeks. Um, it's very interesting. It, Pre-World Cup, when we heard that Jacques Naba was going to leave and it looked like Rossi was going to stay on, I was really leaning towards, and I was probably heavily in favor of Mzwande Lestik or Dion Davids. They look like, because uh, the succession planning is what's big for me and what I feel is going to happen. Having said that, I didn't. I don't know shit about rugby. Um, if we to listen to anything that I thought was going to happen pre World Cup, during World Cup, etc. So, the thing is, is the succession planning was big for us, and I feel that we've missed it, and we've started to reap the rewards of it. With Rusty Rasmus going back to the head coach space, it's it's very interesting for me. I've thought about it a lot because something over there is, is happening, and I don't I don't ever feel that anyone's in the dark in any part of the Springbok setup. I think everyone is, it's it's kind of, it's clear for everyone to see and everyone knows what's cracking. So something's going on. Rossi's obviously thought that whoever we want to be setting up to moving forward is not ready yet or we don't have them in the mix. So it's going to be very interesting to see what happens. And we're going to have to bring a few few new people in. I, I'm a bit apprehensive to think that in two years' time, we're going to get a whole brand new head coach just with seeing what's going on right now because I'm a bit worried that's going to change everything. It's going to change our defensive foundation. It's going to change our conversations and the language we're speaking and the way we're playing and stuff like that. <clears throat> so I'm I'm really still leaning towards the fact that we probably will have Mzondela Stick or Dion Davids high up and, and very close to taking that head coach role and then people kind of filling in underneath that that for me would be the succession planning but then i'm also a little bit more conservative so I, I don't see a major change happening however we will know soon like in five what i don't even know where we are i think we're in november like what's it march april will february march i don't know we'll know what's happening and who's been brought in and then we'll have an idea of what's cracking like we'll Dobbo get a mention or, and will, will he get in? I don't see Dobson ever being in the Springbok setup right now as, as an assistant. I think he'll come in as a head coach. Like, will he come in as part-time to see how the how the groove works out? Um, is Jan van Kran in the mix? Is Ackermann still in the mix? Like, we've got a couple of guys that are really doing well, but how do they fit in with everything? Because the one thing I think that we can really build our house on is the fact that we know that that they're not going to take anyone that's going to completely disrupt and mess up everything that has happened. They're probably going to need someone that buys into everything that's been going on and, and how the foundation of the spring box is at the moment. So cooks, I guess double 2028 now is your campaign um, right now. Yeah. Uh, that's my agenda for then. Um, I'm willing <laughs> to move to the agenda. If the box is going to keep winning world cups. That's my, that, that's the only, that's the only disclaimer for my agenda. So when the box go back-to-back-to-back, uh, to back to back, well, the fourth World Cup is we double 2032 at the stage. So, <laughs> hey, double, my guy. He's just going to keep winning URC titles, Tyler. That's all he can do. But, and just hope and, but this and, is, hope and wait. This is my question to both of you. Because I don't necessarily have a problem 
with Dobson or Van Gran or Ackerman or anyone not that's currently in the setup taking over the head coach role. But my question, and I'd like you guys to answer, is how are they going to do it? So let's say hypothetically, um, we'll we'll go with Dobbo. Let's say Dobbo is the head coach for um the next World Cup. How are how do you see Rossi Rasmus as director of rugby uh, making that happen? I think for me, if Rossi had to make that happen, I think if he, that's a, if he feels that he needs to bring sort of a, a, a different shift in the camp, a different sort of culture, a different voice to sort of bring into the Springbok environment. I think it's, and in doing so, I think he would, I mean, he'll still play a massive role in it, but I think also, I think you'll do it in, you'll do it in a way where it's just to hear, sort of hear different voices. Like I know Eddie Jones, for example, in England, kept changing coaches every three years and was it successful. I mean, he was a successful coach, but I mean, he'd, he'd love changing the voices. So I think if Rassi had to bring Dobbo, and I, I do think if, if Dobbo would want to come in with his own management staff and, and that's for me will be the big difference. Or someone like a Yuan von Kron for me, I feel like he'll be a lot more easier to bring into what Rusty's sort of doing. Because having obviously, I know he took off from Rusty in Munster, but I do think that he would sort of fit in easier. And I think he's got a little less head coach experience, unlike Dobbo, who Dobbo goes, This is the way I've I've coached, this is the guys that I've come around with. These are the guys that serve me well, I think, and this is the sort of style that I want to play, and this is the way that I want to play it in. So I think with Dobbo, Rusty will not have a as hands-on approach, but I feel like with Juan from Juan Rusty will, will play, but will have a lot more, will, will be a lot more hands-on as opposed to with Dobbo. Yeah, I think you've nailed it, Cooks. Um, it's going to be difficult to see anyone that hasn't had a previous relationship with Erasmus coming in, if they're going to come in as head coach. I think what this appointment for, I mean, Rusty's, number one, Rusty's contract ends in 2025. So, there's also that to manage. But yeah, I think if we're going to do four-year planning, we'll have to sort his situation out and then try to see if he wants to go ahead as head coach or does he want to give sort of the reins more to a David's or a Mzandi to stick? Or yeah, who's the new person that's going to be brought in? Because yeah, it's going to be, <laughs> I mean, at the best times we've all been in that situation at work when you ask to work with someone. Um they might be good at their job. They might be horrible at their job, but working with someone, if you don't have that chemistry is always difficult. So I think it probably points to that whoever comes in or whoever's the head coach after 2025, it depends on whether Rassi is still with the Springboks until 2027, or has he maybe left and now it's the opportunity for someone new to come in. So I can't, I, I think it'll be a situation where, Hopefully this is, I think this is what happens is that Rassi hopefully signs on to 2027. He either brings in um, the coaches that he wants to fill up his coaching staff with or entrust someone like Stick or Davids to rise up the ranks. And then by that, by that World Cup, it's basically Rassi's DOR and one of Davids or Stick has the Jacques Ninaba. And then we fill in the gaps left by Ninaba and by Felix Jones, et cetera, et cetera, to the team. Cooks? But I want to say, it's not a bad thing. And, you know, you know, a lot of people obviously speak about the effect of Rassi Erasmus. I think he's shown that the way he's he's running this promotion rugby, it's worked. I mean, he's, he's got two freaking World Cups, for goodness sake. So I do think with Dobbo, someone like Dobbo and, and outside coaches, no coach wants to sort of fall in the same 
trap. I'll say trap, same situation as Alice Kutia, where you come in, but you can't bring in the people that you want to bring in. So someone like Dobo also, or any other coach outside of this, the, the sort of the, the current uh, circle of coaches would want to bring the, their way in. And I think, firstly, there will come a time, maybe it's over 2027, where we might actually need new voices. Like, like look at the All Blacks, for example. I thought with Ian Foster, it was a, a World Cup campaign too far with similar voices. I mean, it was Henry. Hansen was there for a long time. Then, from, then Foster joined Hansen. And then some of those players, like, it's just, they needed someone to just sweep, ironically, sweep the shade, to sweep out all this, sort of <laughs> say, thank you, Fozzie and, and Hansen. For, yeah, thank you, for your, thank you for your contribution. But we, we need someone fresh, someone new. Now, I think that's where the Springboks might be in 2027 when they go, Karras, it's been an incredible 11 years. Now, about, nine, about 11 years, then, like now maybe it's time to, to bring in someone like Adobo. Or we don't know which coaches come through, but finally, Leo may have come through then and go, okay, we're going to maybe you can be director of rugby, we're going to be director of rugby, and then we're going to start fresh sales. So I think these definitely, they definitely have another World Cup cycle in them, but I think come 2027, I think that's when. It'll be a good time to bring in someone new, and and, and that person coming new is going to want to bring their own staff, their own their own style, not trying to figure things out. But so also quick, to end off, I wouldn't be yeah. surprised. I wouldn't be surprised to see if Jean Nino comes back twenty twenty five after getting some IP from Ireland and sort of is coming in <laughs> for the last two years because he kept saying he said his last game for the Springboks. Every time he said, everyone was like, "Hey, Jacques, your last game." He's like, "You never know." I'm like. You mentioned I'm, that I'm going full that, yeah. I'm you going know, full I'm going full SA mode, uh, crazy fan mode. <laughs> no, so I guess what Cooks is asking, who's going to be the Joe Schmidt and Jay and um, Jason Ryan that comes into the coaching setup um, in the next few years? Sean, so Cooks, you are 100 right. I don't ever, 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 ever want the Springboks to go back to a space where a head coach has dictated how they get to do things. Um, it's very much a case of like, here's the rope. You either run with it or you hang yourself. Like, but there must be no excuses afterwards. Like, no reasons why um, it wasn't able to work. Like, it was your job, and and that's it. But if Wizard Russi can hocus pocus his sort of magic cauldron and put together like all this little stuff to bring the same vibe, obviously with in with a slight difference, but the same vibe together again for the next World Cup, he will be, without a shadow of a doubt, the greatest rugby mind ever in the history of the game. Not just the greatest coach or the greatest director of rugby, the greatest rugby mind ever. Like nobody, you can't even argue. It's just, Rusty's number one, you can argue who's number number two, you know? Because what, what we did in 2019... I, Sia Khaleesi was excellent. I loved his answer. He was asked about the World Cup and winning it and all that sort of jazz. And he basically said, he said, in 2019, the fans hoped we'd win it. In 2023, they expected us to win it. And what Rassi Rasmus has done, because he's the director of rugby, and the way that he's brought everything into the mix and done it all from then and then into 2023 by making Jacques Ninaba head coach and just tweaking what's going on but still being involved, if he gets to somehow rejuvenate or redo that with new faces in the coaching setup, it would be wild. 
Yeah, I think to add to that, I don't know if Twitter's still having the conversations of the Springboks of now better than the All Blacks of 2015 or not, but I think a good thing to maybe aim for for the box um, <clears throat> in this four-year cycle is a 75% win record. Like, be consistent and, you know, you know, be the team that I think the Springboks can be when when the back's against the wall and <laughs> don't it mustn't only come out when oh okay we were under doubt and all that sort of stuff so be consistent throw yeah like throw your weight around in terms of being the best team like if if that could happen if sort of that 2011 to 2015 run can happen for the Springboks now to add obviously onto the last two um, rugby world cup campaigns like Sean said then obviously there's no doubt as to who the greatest ever is um, let's go, let's try to touch on the other teams now. Um, Cooks, I'll start with you, the, the finalists in the World Cup this year, the All Blacks. So, uh, a little unknown coach called Scott Robertson's coming into the team. There's been a few retirements to obviously some key players, you know, where to from here for them? I think it's exciting for the All Blacks in terms of Razor coming in. Razor coming in, obviously Wayne Smith comes back, I think he's director of coaching. So there are a lot of changes coming in there. But I think the big concern for the All Blacks now for me is it goes back to Sharon Frizzell has gone overseas. Now they're going to find a blind side flanker. And the curse of Sharon Frizzell is he's leaving after finally stepping into the player that they wanted him to be for the longest time. And um, they need a 10. As good as Razor, as good as Razor can be. Well, I can't see Dave McKenzie as an out and out 10. And unfortunately, the, the they fly off stocks aren't as aren't as deep as they used to be. It reminds me back yes. when I'm Stephen Donald used to be when Stephen Donald's in the mix when, when guys were saying, like, oh no, it's Carter or Bust. At least they had the greatest 10 of all time to rely on. <laughs> and just hope he never gets injured. But now it, it's hard now. I think this is the probably the worst group of tens I've had in in in, in, in a while. So I think that's Razor's first concern is to sort of find it. And their nines, their nines are green as well, eh? The nines are green as well. I think, I mean, obviously, Finley Christie and Roy Gold are probably the, the incumbent moving forward, but there's no one sort of stepping up. I mean, they lost, I mean, of 2011, Aaron Smith stepped in seamlessly to the jersey and made it his own. And um, I think for them, that's going to be the big one. I think pop-wise, they're sorted. Locks. I think some like Josh Lord and Tupuvai, they're still raw. They'll all get better. Um, and then you still got the Scott Barrett's coming back, I think. So I, I do think Mac Locks wise they'll be fine. Um, and then you look at Lucy's. I mean, Artie's, Artie's probably thinks number one more World Cup in him. Sam Cam is resting. So I do think Sam Cam is, I mean, Sam Cam is resting. And then the, the, they tend to do well in the, loose, in the Lucy centers. will be fine in the back. It's just got to find a fly off and a, and a loose forward. And... A decision for me needs to be made about Will Jordan and Jordy Barrett. The race is going to decide right now what is Will Jordan? Is does he is he going to play him as a fullback? Or are they going to again go to Jordy Barrett and say, You are out now 12, you're going to be 12 for the next four years, or they're going to go? Because I just think with Jordy Barrett, a decision needs to be made. Because he can either be a world class 10 or I mean a, a world class 12 or, or take him back to his natural position, which is 15. So you so, so they've got to figure out what to do with Jordy and Will and Will Jordan, but it's good questions. But the it's good questions and problems to have. But the ten one for me, that's the big, that's the big issue. I think that's when New Zealand rugby is trying to figure out: do we allow guys like Gordon Barrett 
to play overseas but still play for the All Blacks. I think this is the toughest test for that for their overseas policy. That, yeah, um, Jordy Barrett has to stay at twelve. I he they can't move him again unless they're going to move him somewhere, and then he really is going to become that absolute beast player twenty three or that player that can will always start. He's you know, he is always going to start, but then you really can be confident that he can start at 12 or 15 or 10 or whatever. But yeah, I think their 10s, I'm racking my brain now trying to think of some other 10s. They don't really have anyone that's really put their hand up and said, Ruben cool, love? I've got this. De- love, yeah, but uh, he's not really tested. So you're going to have McKenzie and then Mahiv come off the bench. I'm, I'm worried with their nines because... The thing is, is changing your nine and your 10 and having uncertainty there. McKenzie's going to start at 10. I think we all pretty, we understand that. Like he's going to start at 10 or 15. But then you you don't have the Aaron Smith there and to just completely sort everything out. Um, so yeah, it's going to be interesting. Uh, very interesting times ahead. But the one thing the All Blacks do do and do well is integrate players into their system well, it's not into their system. They're always integrated into their system. It's just the way they are. But I think they bring guys in um, pretty well, you know? Yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see also fast. I mean, faster Razor without Richie Moonga, at least for a year, and see how he works around that. I mean, Moonga is still um, young enough to be really good at the rugby world at the next rugby world cup he'll be 33 so i I mean he's i think the same age as pollard so in theory he should be i mean he's probably started to reach his peak now so he should be still in his peak um up until the end of um the next cycle so i guess the question is now yeah once he comes back from from his sabbatical like it's i think most things fall into place um because i think Roy God will probably be the number nine. And I mean, they still have Falafa Fakatavo who's basically been doing an apprenticeship with Aaron Smith at, at the Highlanders. Um, they still have um I think it's uh Ratters, the 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 scrummer for the Chiefs. They still have talent there. The number six question is gonna be very interesting, but I like the look of that final um Summer Penny Final that played for the Chiefs this year as well. So he might be the person that could step up. And Frizzal, I guess in theory, could still come back. But yeah, I mean, the coaching staff, though, the strength of the coaching staff is scary um, with Razor, with Ryan, with Wayne Smith coming to assistant, assist as well. Like, that's, I think, what's what's going to be quite interesting and seeing how those rugby minds come together is, I mean, we saw now with just putting in Schmidt and Ryan how much better and, and, and intimidating the All Blacks were. So, I mean... See, these are probably some of the best young minds in rugby at the moment. So, yeah, that'll be very interesting to see how they work around those those resources. Cooks? I think the master stroke is getting Wayne Smith back because yeah. as strong as... Tyler, I think you, you, you make a great point is of how strong their coaching staff is with Leo McDonald's and Jason Holland and their young, young coaches as well. But it's also depleted the coaching in the super rugby sides. That's mm-hmm. why I think Wayne Smith's going to play a massive role in being that bridge between developing, obviously, the Razors, the Leo McDonald's, and also developing, I know, like Crusaders, for example, when like Rob Penny sounded a bit older, but I think there's, there's, there's a few coaches in the New Zealand Super Rugby who, who 
unknown and untested. I think obviously for them, they do have great structures with the coaches, but I think someone like Wayne Smith coming back is comes to be a perfect masterstroke. But and I think he will probably say, listen, guys, we need to find more tens here. And it's weird with the All Blacks because they, they did find themselves as a stage when Carter was so far ahead of everyone else that like it was it, it did it did feel like Carter or bust. And then within a within one World Cup cycle, they had Carter, Cruden, Barrett, Sipoaga. Then they were sport for choice at 10. So I think the big one for the coaches is to get I think Richie is gone on a sabbatical, right? I don't think Richie's gone for good. Yeah, sabbatical. I, I think yeah, I think once he because once he gets back, I think and, and, and like you said, Tyler, he's he's hitting he's hitting the perfect notes at at ten. He's he's, he's starting to get mature. So I think that's gonna be the big one for them. Hey, they woke up campaign in the next four years, I think the all blacks go where Richie as far as Richie Monger takes them in terms of because there's a big gap between him and their next best ten. And if the next best ten is Daniel McKenzie, that's, that's not a hill I'm willing to die on. And I, I know a lot of DMAC fans then the error rate hurts me too, hurts them too much. And I just, unless, obviously, you can get better, but I think they go as far as Richie Moanga takes them. Unless they want to groom, there's a, there's a young Manila Bok in New Zealand playing who's been shuffled around for many unions waiting for their chance in, in 2028. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting also. I mean, Adi Sevier is also going on a sabbatical as well. So I think next year is almost a gap year kind of similar to what Cooks was saying for the Springboks. It's almost a gap year for the All Blacks. They can probably experiment a little bit, maybe go a bit younger. And then, yeah, once those players come back in 2025, I guess that's when the business end starts. But I think Razor will see what happened to Foster and try not to start off on a bad note, um, especially with how it ended for New Zealand in the last year. So he probably wants to go off on a good start as well. So he'll be hoping that at least in terms of like the rugby championship and the Breslow Cup, that he can still win that, even if he doesn't have Moonga, Bowden Barrett, Adi Severe, et cetera, et cetera. Also, one exciting thing for the All Blacks, that front row looks really good for the next World Cup cycle. Um, Fletcher Newell, Tamaiti Williams, uh, Samsani Takeaho, Ethan De Groot, uh, Fle- um, not Fletcher Newell, sorry, um, Toro Lomax are all going to be not older than 32, I think, at the next World Cup. So that's should they should grow together. And I mean, they showed in this World Cup campaign how good they are in the set piece with, with Jason Ryan coaching them. Okay, let's go through the other teams. The third place team in the World Cup was England. <laughs> a very interesting team. Obviously, with Steve Borthwick coaching them to a third place position. They've also probably, I guess, in the middle of... Most of their players, most of their great players being in the early 30s. Sean, what's the questions or what is the things to look forward to for England for the next um, cycle? Yeah, it's it's going to be interesting. They, they've probably found themselves again because they, they kind of went a little bit wayward. Um, they've got to be, England have to be England. Um, and I think they've come to terms with that after wondering but the big thing is just sorting out a few positions Joe Marchant is in France now so they I I personally feel so I think Ollie Lawrence I love him at 12 but he's really good 13 but they don't have a lot of options at 13 um they've got a few positions they're gonna have to fill um but 
Yeah, it's weird. I I don't I can't quite put my finger on what exactly they need to do at the moment. I think they need to really kind of stick with the guys that they've what they've got. Obviously, a couple guys have retired, um, but then they've got to pretty much go with the same ish type setup for for the Six Nations, and then just kind of cement that it's going to be boring rugby. Um, but you know what are they going to do? I think. Arundel, I mean, he scored a hat trick on his debut for Russing last night. Um, you know, he he's going to come back into the mix. As far as I know, he is still eligible for England, even though he's gone to Russing for a little bit um, for an, for another season, I believe. But um, I could be completely wrong. But yeah, for England, it's going to be pretty much the same, same but different. You know, they they're going to be boring, and they're going to have to set up their foundation before they do anything, which I think they started in the World Cup. Books, your team that you um that you predicted for great success at the World Cup. How, how do you see them going in the next <laughs> cycle? Let's hear from the Oracle. Tell her, tell her they were hundred pole away from making me a rich man. Um, <laughs> but um, I think I'm I, I'm actually inclined to, with Sean. Where I'm treating the Six Nations almost as an extension to the World Cup, could still in season. Just to keep that momentum flowing. I think England are in a good place now. A lot of positivity. Obviously, certain guys, maybe like a Dane Coles, might not be there. Skype Six Nations. But I keep the nucleus of the team for the Six Nations. Sorry, playing a similar style. And then come June, when it's the end of their season, that's when I start making the big decisions of how they're going to play. Making decisions such as, are we going to keep going forward on Farrell or George Ford? Is, is Marcus Smith going to be our 10? I think that's the way to go. I think that call needs to be made soon, for example. Figure out if, if, if it's Marcus that's going to be a guy, we've got to back in for the next year or two. What's going to happen with Freddie Stewart? Um, he's going to play move to 12. I think they've, I think that, Sean, you say they have a 13 problem. I think they have a crisis at 12. That's, that's my issue. Like there's, yeah. there's not yeah. many good English Premier League 12s. Don't, don't, don't give any, I'm, I'm, I'm still surprised that. Steve Forth is not asking Andre Estes to be, like just to name just to become South African, to become English, like begging him, like just don't go back home for four years. Or, like just, because they just shouldn't move Farrell to twelve anymore. <laughs> so I think that's no, that's where it is. But so um, Lawrence can play twelve, but uh, I'm I'm so torn with this. I I think he's probably a better thirteen, but he can play twelve. Bath have also got um, Ojomo who also is a talent for the future, someone to look out for. But Freddie Stewart must be an option at 12. He has to be an option. And that's also a way of probably starting more of, of starting more players because I don't know, do they want to keep Smith at, th- at 15? Do you think that's a viable option? I think it's an option, an in-game option. I think it's a, a strategic option that he could play 12 and 15 or play 15 and move to, sorry, 10 and 15 and play 15 and move into 10 in the game. Yeah, they're, they're options, but they I think they're going to have to be boring as for, for the Six Nations. Yeah. Farrell can go to the next World Cup. And I, honestly, the form Farrell's in and the way he plays, I know people hate him, but you don't hate him because the way he plays rugby, you hate him because he's English and because he tackles like shit. But Farrell, Farrell's going to be, by the end of next year, he's going to be the top six nations point scorer in history. He's going to 
you know, he's going to carry on doing what he does, but he plays best at 10 and he's the captain. And I don't see them moving away from him in the next two years, at least. Uh, I'm, I can't, I don't even know how old he is, but I'm pretty sure you can go to the next World Cup. Yeah, Faz is 31 this year. So he'll be 35 Oof, in Australia in 2027. So it, yeah, it is. I mean, but I mean, we've seen Sexton, Farrell's made of similar spite and anger. So you you, you can probably be tackle making it. <laughs> that as well. Do, Look, do I think know, for do, do England... Know, oh, go on, oh, sorry, quickly. Sorry, Taylor. I'll say, like, if I was England, if, if I'm keeping Farrell for the next four years, I had, a, I had a great conversation with England at a wedding I was at recently. And, um, <laughs> of course. <I> was, <laughs> you can't get away from it, man. No, and then I, I was like, and we were talking about England, he said, when I made, uh, actually, we all met, I met Tom. We, 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 you guys know Tom. We spoke yeah, about England. Yes. He said, no way, he, he said what he, he said what, what he would do is, he would, he would take the captaincy away from, from Farrell. Not because he can't lead, just tell him. Then he said, you look at, Ireland and England with Farrell, with Farrell and six and ten. They, they have a lot on their plate. And when they get so frustrated with like referee decisions, it affects the team in a negative way because they get so frustrated sometimes talking to referees and, and having and having to run the team as well. That it does sort of part of the team. You look at against South Africa, the, the silly penalty that Farrell gave away where they got extra 10 yards. If I'm England, I, I, if Farrell's going to play on the next four years, I take away the captain for him, man. I like the idea of just letting him play. You, you, you're telling Farrell, you have four years. If you're going to get there, you're just going to focus on playing rugby. Pull the strings together, but then they have to sort of find someone underneath. Is Marcus Smith going to be the guy? Is it going to be is the other teams coming up in the, in, in the premiership? But I think the Farrell one is a decision they must make early because you, you're going to give Farrell the keys and then come 2026, Farrell goes, you know what, guys, I'm over this. So good luck if a year to find a 10. <laughs> yeah, what I was going to say is that I think England needs to decide on a call and then the rest can sort of sort itself out. So in my sort of thinking of what the core is, it's Theo Dan, who's obviously 22, showed a lot of good potential um, in the World Cup. He's under Jamie George's wing at Saracens as well. It's Theo Dan, it's Ellis Genge, um, it's um, Oli Chesa, Mitoje, and George Martin. Martin had a brilliant game, obviously, in that semi-final. It's Tom Curry, Ben Earl, the Willis's, both of them as well. It's Alex Mitchell. It's Jack Van Poorfleet. It's Marcus Smith. It's Freddie Stewart. And it's Oli, La- it's Oli Lawrence and it's Harry Arundel. And those players, I think it's about 12 players I've mentioned, they should hopefully most of them be in the World Cup squad for 2027. They're the ones that should get as many caps as possible. So like Sean said, I think carry on with the vibes of what happened in this last few games of World Cup. Carry with the same team, pretty much. And then for the July series against, you know, this the small little island team for New Zealand um, in the 2024 July series. I think that's when you go, Faz take a bit of a break, George, take a bit of a break, um, maybe Sinclair, those sort of players, and then kind of throw the, the 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 younger players in the deep end, and sort of what happened with Clive Woodward in 1998 with the team with Wilkinson and Dawson and such, and just say, look, sink or swim, like make, yeah, make the most of it, and then that team is, is built around, and then the older players like George and Farrell, you can say to them, look, Prove your form in the premiership, prove your commitment to the 
the what you want to do as a coach and you're part of the team you can obviously fight to get into the starting team but the core is going to be smith the core is going to be dan they're going to be the ones getting the opportunities to start and then we know what we have with you guys and we can obviously throw you guys the the, the bone when we need to so it's gonna be interesting because it's a it's a shifting of errors somewhat um someone like itoje funny enough is still 28 but obviously he's played a lot of test rugby curry is still 25 and he's played a lot of test rugby george ford is nearing 100 caps and he's only 30 so there's a lot of players that have played a lot but yeah but the age profile is 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 favorable and then there's a lot of young players like stewart and smith have pretty much got themselves to 30 test caps quite quickly and it's now about building around those players that have shown that they're world-class, have shown that they're young enough to, you know, still go on for 2027. And then going, okay, Smith is not the fastest fullback in the world. Okay, can we use him on first phase as a 12? Can we move him to 12? Um, Smith, Marcus Smith maybe needs more of a game manager at nine. Okay, can we teach Alex Mitchell to play like he played in the World Cup semifinal pretty much every week? And start that start working around the talents that you have instead of just you know hoping that some players become players that they just won't become honestly because I think that's been the issue with England sometimes is they hoping that Smith becomes a game manager like Ford and Farrell that won't really happen they've kind of hoped for these players and then what started clicking for them is them using Smith in open spaces using Ben Earl. Um, off the base of the scrum and then they started becoming a lot better so that'll be very interesting i think england you know it's it's going to be pragmatic as hell like um sean was saying but they've got a good chance of becoming really good i mean they've got the players they've just got key um gaps that a coach has to figure out okay um sorry fella i I called england so i called south africa england and france to go, get into the final of Rugby World Cup 2023 in 2019, I called that. Yeah. Because England had England had it. They had it all going for them uh, in 2019. They really like and moving forward, they they seem to be they seem to be on track. Um so like the, they had the players to go to 2023. And now, I mean, you've just reeled off 12 guys plus that can take them to the next World Cup. So they've they really do have the goods to move on. They just need to get just stay away from England. Like they need to stay away from the media. They need to just you know do their thing. So they've definitely got it. Um, she sure. Moving to the fourth place team, which is Argentina. Well, a team in an interesting position, I think, as well. They've got some t- players that are obviously probably definitely too old. Augustin Creevy is thirty eight already crazy I never mean, too old Augustine <laughs> is going to the next world cup and him and his neck are going to hurt people and he's going to score tries so don't worry about it <laughs> he'll be at the world cup after that as well um <laughs> some of the um obviously Nicolas Sanchez as well he um he was th- 35 uh, De La Fuente Moroni are also in their 30s Imhoff is 35 somehow but um, they're changing coaches. Um, Czech is coming, stepping off. They've got Felipe Contepomi stepping in. He's been basically in the uh, in the Leinster system the last few years and has been assistant coach for the last few. So be interesting to see how he steps in. Cooks, Argentina is a difficult one because as we've said, when you expect them to play well, they're horrible. When you expect them to be terrible, they're brilliant. 
But, you know, a young coach, they've still got some really good and um, interesting young talents, likes of Thomas Gallo, um, uh, Juan Martin Gonzalez, um, Sancho Chukabares, those sort of players. Like, they've got players with a lot of talent. It's now just about putting it all together. I think basically just read every article that's written about Argentina post-2007 World Cup, post 2015 World Cup is hopefully this is the time they put it all together. Like, <laughs> it's they probably the easiest one because it, it, they're going to be up and down. It's a roller coaster with them, I think. But they, I think hopefully Felipe Contepomi, who's proven to be a very good coach domestically in the work he's done in Argentina under Michael Checker, I think it's it, it's it's about time now that they actually you know try to sort of find some consistency, whether that is winning a a series in June and um, you know. Aiming to come, maybe maybe the one year they come second in the rugby championship, get get two scops, one maybe one of Australia, one of the All Blacks, or one of the Springboks. So I think for them it's they've got to start looking above. Then it can't always be Argentina's dark horses. Argentina, you never know what's going to happen that day. Or discipline is if they if they just discipline, who knows what's going to happen? They can't you can't sing the same tune about them for another four years. So it's going to be interesting what happens now with. With Felipe Contempomi, because um, Michael Chikat, I, I thought he did. I thought he did do. I thought he did do a, a, a good job. I think. Um, I mean, from where there were a bit of a mess when he took over, and he, and he got him to third place, which is what Michael Chikat does. He just rebuilds sides. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see what Felipe Contempomi does. Does this foundation? It's a good foundation to have, and they do have good answers coming through. And um, so I just think hopefully they can build from this and sort of use. 2024 is a stepping stone and into something bigger because a lot of because the Wallabies will be rebuilding the spring, the All Blacks will be rebuilding the Springboks. Yeah, they'll be tweaking a few things there. So they do have a chance to make a splash in the rugby championship if needs be. So, so I think for them, for Argentina, I think next year's is probably the most important in terms of results wise to sort of keep up the momentum. They don't want to make one step forward and then four steps back and then it's back to same old Argentina and hoping they become underdogs again for the next World Cup. I think the nice thing for Argentina is a lot of their main team is still pretty much similar, like mid to late 20s, early 30s. So they should be able to stay together. But yeah, Sean, I think the big question is, do you still persist with Carreras trying to make him into a fly half or not? And once you make a decision on that, then it's okay. How do you fix the front row? Like, how do you build around um, Montoya and Thomas Gajol and try to get hopefully a tight head that can actually scrum? I think if Contemporary can sort out those two questions who's the, who's his fly off and who's his tear? I mean, who's his fly off and who's his three? I think they'll be a very good team again. Yeah. The 10 one's an interesting one for me. I think as a whole, it's probably not working. Um, I'd like to have seen Sanchez on more. I thought he was probably this was his World Cup um, with his form and everything was probably in a better shot for him. Um, but if Chakes doesn't carry on, one of those coaches that are there with him now will most likely <clears throat> take over, you feel. So it looks like he's going to stay at 10 then. So, yeah, it's the weird one. What other options do they have? That's That's my... My mm-hmm. other my other question. So, yeah, it's going to be weird. But the one thing that Argentina do need to get back is they need to get their scrum back. They need to get it back. They need to focus heavily on that and they need to dominate. They've got 
the locks and the Lucy's to take it forward as well. So it's it's huge. So they I don't know what they're going to do, but they have to fix it and have to fix it sharpish. And having said that, Cooks, that totally let me down, this World Cup. I expected way more of them. I think everyone did, to be fair. I'm not the only one. But yeah, they were... I just don't know where, where from here, though. You know, like, where do you... You know, you've got to farm them out and then hopefully bring them back. You've got to figure out how Chags got them back and sorted them out and managed to bring them all back in and made them work together well. You need to kind of bottle that and take it forward. But, yeah, they were quite a bit disappointing this World Cup. Yeah, we know that Argentina is great in World Cups in, in Europe, which is where they usually get themselves to semifinals. And then other World Cups, eh, eh but so-so. There's a guy, um, there's a player called um, Geronimo... Priscantelli, who plays for um, Zebra, he played fullback for Zebra on Saturday. I think he's yes. a regular for them. I think he's probably the best bet for Pumas for for number ten going forward. But he also doesn't play regularly at number ten for his club, so it's it's the same situation. So he's a perfect fit then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, look, the best solution for Argentina to get consistent again, or at least more consistent, is get the Jaguares in. Uh, serious um club competition but he, hopefully the american um club competition stock or like south american and american club competition continues to grow um let's go to france cooks i mean kieran reed said that france basically is where new zealand was in 2007 like obviously knocked out in, in a quarterfinal where there's a lot of expectations team's still young enough and coaching staff still staying there they can still make a run for for their 2011 um yeah Antoine Dupont's gonna dilly dally with a bit of sevens before that apparently a few other players gonna play in the sevens as well because it's being hosted or the world the Olympics sorry are being hosted in in Paris um but I think otherwise it's about just yeah what 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 are the things to learn from that um quarterfinal loss against the Springboks is it just about Look, continue to just grow an experience and, you know, you'll make, you'll turn that loss into a victory, basically. I think what hurt France is the lessons there, it's, it's lessons that will be good for them in, in the long run. They lost, I mean, they lost an experience side, aside those three books, aside the new win to close out games, how to win those two. Those sort of games where, and France will probably look back at that 15 minute period after half time where they had all those chances and they couldn't score. But again, it's an experience thing, right? And I think France is probably to make a run for the next World Cup. They're probably the best placed side in the world in terms of age, profile, players coming back, who's going to be at their peak, who's going to be like, who's going to be at their peak depth wise. I mean, there's a 19 year old fly of slotting, slotting um, winners. I mean, a, a winner in the weekend for. For La Rochelle, I mean, they've got players coming through there and 20s are in a good place. So rugby, France is in a good place. France, it's it's weird because it's a World Cup and yes, knockout rugby hurts. They were, they, they were flipping a hundred Pollard penalty away from going to the semi-final. I mean, they lost the game. They went, they didn't lose because they played shit. They were involved in the greatest games ever. So it, they don't feel like they need to blow everything up. So I, I think with France, it's, it's almost, they'll learn from this. I think this lesson here is something that will sit deep in their core, the same way that French games with the All Blacks had sat deep in their users and McCaw and them use them as motivation to make sure that never happens again. And that 
soft underbelly that the All Blacks sort of felt like they, they used to have in pre-2011. I think France is that something that's going to sit there. I think so. They lost could end up being a blessing in disguise for them come 2027. But there's not much there to fix. I just think, yeah, they lost a crazy game in the quarterfinal. They've got all their best players coming back. They've got youngsters coming through. They've got the best under 20 group in the longest time. And so I think they're still in a good place. Yeah. You add a bit of Emmanuel Miafu coming in. You add the under-20s, like you've mentioned as well. You add all of the players that maybe couldn't make the World Cup squad now. I mean, someone like Roman and Tamak <laughs> wasn't even a feature in the World Cup this time. Like, yeah, it's a scary position to be in. Um, yeah, I think, Sean, the the biggest thing for France, I guess, the only positional thing that I'm thinking of is just tight end and obviously finding a replacement for Willy Antonio. Yes, yeah. It's gonna it's a big shoes to fill, literally. Um oh, France are I think now already are absolutely front runners for the next World Cup. Um if you have a look at like what they've got and the structures and everything, someone like you know, Australia or England could always obviously come up whenever. Um Springboks and New Zealand too, but yeah, the the French are, are looking good and it is really only that one position that they need to fill. They've pretty much got cover everywhere else and it's about balancing everything. I mean, they've got um, oh, a shitload of nines coming through as well. You know, <laughs> it's wild. Um, they've got nines, they've got tens, not that they need more nines and tens, but they've got them. They've got midfielders. They've got outside backs. They've got players all over the show. So finding one position to fill, which I don't think is a, I don't think it's too far away to fill. I don't think it's like a, a massive, massive problem for them to fill it. I think it's about finding the right guy. You know, it's going to be a, a toss-up between a few guys, but the one guy's going to take his chance and step up, and that's going to be it, and then they'll be fine. Yeah, and I think the DuPont sojourn into the sevens will be a blessing in disguise and making their team less DuPont-reliant, which maybe was one of the reasons why they lost that game near the end was – when DuPont is not able to, you know, <laughs> manufacture something, what happens? But, I mean... Guys, we worked a... him. We worked him. We worked him so hard. We knew everything was coming through him. We worked him. Yeah, and he still and he still had a brilliant game, like all things... He had a great game. Yes. Well. But it's, it's... all his errors cost him. And we, yeah. it was, that was what we did. We just worked him and we worked him. I still haven't watched that game again and I cannot wait to watch it. I might just go and do it now. Let's talk. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so I guess that's, I guess, similar to the Carter McCaw sabbaticals in between the All Black World Cups is DuPont goes away, can come back, obviously, great and can come back, come back hungry. And now there's also a bit of depth added, and the team becomes less reliant on those key players. Sean Island. Um, yeah. Is it a matter of phoning a Sangoma or a witch doctor for our Irish <laughs> listeners? Like, I, I genuinely don't know what 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 notes you can give them other than I mean continue the what you're doing but just find a way to be really 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 good when it's quarterfinal time. Yeah, it's so weird. Ed. In an alternate universe where Ireland have made it past the quarterfinal in the World Cup, it's uh it's a different baby for them. You know, they probably go on and win it. Um, the pressure got to them a little bit but the all blacks that was their final in inverted commas they were 
they were out of this world. Ireland, I tell you, before the World Cup, even when Crowley was named, everyone was umming and ahhing about the next 10. I think Jack Crowley's the next fly half. Um, I wouldn't look too far away around other places. I know Byrne and, and a couple other guys are in the mix, but I think Jack Crowley's their, their guy for now. Um, oh, I've totally switched my mind off. So, you know, do they have enough players coming up through the ranks to to fill certain positions? I think they do. I think their midfield will still be okay. I think Antoine Frisch qualifies for Ireland a while ago, a long time ago. I know he qualified for France as well for a little bit, but you know, he he's probably probably going to come in the mix. They've still got Hume and a whole bunch of guys like midfield. Their wingers are always going to be fine. You know that Leinster setup. You know they just churn out churn out players. So. I think they'll be okay. I'm just, I don't think it's going to be a player problem. I think it's going to be like, how do we overcome that hurdle problem? Um, so, you know, it's going to be very interesting. Farrell's getting a look in for the Lions tour, if I'm not mistaken. He'll probably still stay on as Irish coach. So, you know, there'll be some learnings from that, but he's a pretty experienced coach, just not very much as the front on head coach as we used to but yeah it's it's going to be interesting um it's weird it was it's almost uh, i've got such a weird feeling like it was now or never for ireland that's that's how it feels like are they ever going to have this group of players again you know they're going to be learnings that are going to come out of it like should they have played their first choice side so often um was that the right call you're obviously looking back and saying no but we were all shit scared about it at one stage. We were like really worried because they were just, you know, churning it out. You know, could they go all the way? So yeah, it's gonna be interesting. But yeah, I don't think we're gonna see an island side like that again and as dominant for a very long time. They're gonna be good and they probably could go deep in a World Cup with a not as dominant and and talented squad in the future. But yeah, it was I think the moment got too big for them. Yeah, it's it's a it's it's a confusing thing to think about because they've yeah. lost up yeah. pretty much all the things that you need to do if you want to take that next step. They won away to New Zealand. They obviously won Six Nations. They beat pretty much everyone. And I mean, I they guess apart, to, from, apart from six, they ran into the they, best World Cup ever. Yeah, they coincided their best ever anything with the best French side a wounded all black side and the best springbok side not that they faced the springboks all the french but like any other time if you look at how ireland are any other time in a world cup that side goes on and wins it almost all the time mm. um yo they just ran into they ran into a shit storm it just was the perfect storm against them i think <laughs> to quote moneyball um, Brad put at the end says you can do whatever you want you can change or everything you want to change but any, all the changes you're going to make you have an incredible run but it means nothing if you can't win the last game of the season and I think with Ireland that's that's a theme like it, 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 as much as it hurts I mean they're incredible the run and for them it, that, their run leading the World Cup means fuck all because they could not get over the hump they don't want to hear about winning seven oh. straight that hurts. I don't hear about being the checking side of the best attacking side of, the, of in the world. That that we all look back and be like it's one of the best sides in between World Cups we've ever seen. They give two shits about that, all because they just could not go that hump. And so for me, for Ireland, 
What I would do is if the protests get to the semi-finals Australia, I'm phoning all the protests to be like, can you please have a seminar, a seminar on getting over the hump? Because clearly we can't do this. We tried the rugby version of it, so we're in the protest to go to Ireland and show them how to get over the hump. Because I don't know what else they can do, guys. I genuinely do not know what else they can do. That, that is exactly because, it. What what else can be done? And honestly, nothing. They've tried everything. I mean, it's like that's the hard part. Is they've had poor sides losing the quarterfinals. They've had legends Brown and Driscoll. They couldn't get it right. That's the hard thing. And I think for them, it's. I, I still think they have a good enough squad to go back in twenty twenty seven. I think I think Andy is a fantastic coach. I think. They might even have to look at maybe potentially going younger, getting guys who are, are doing well in their 20s, being to finals, Sam Pendergrass, guys like that. And oh, like I think there's a youngster that's coming that's through, what, right? So it's one of those things where they're going to try and figure out from there. I still good players, they still still churn out players, but yeah, flipping hell. I'll pay money. You know what I want to do, actually? I, I'm going to convince the Irish government to get all those legends together and just sit down in a room. And just talk about it. Talk about the quarterfinal failure and bring the youngsters in to say, we don't want this for you. I'll pay good money to watch that. I want to see O'Driscoll breaking down to tears, talking about losing the quarterfinal, then Johnny Sexton breaking down to tears as well, and sit there sipping my four World Cup beers. That's what I want. That's this actually, sound, this sounds like Ireland. something for you, Cooks, and not for Ireland. <laughs> <laughs> this literally I, sounds like you just saying, rubbing it in. You were doing guys, you gotta, the, you gotta, the four World Cup beers part. Guys, you've got to talk about your problems. They say the first thing you do is sit down and accept your problems. Talk about them in open. They say okay. we if have I, a problem. If I'm gonna <laughs> if I'm gonna be <laughs> we have a problem. If I'm gonna be a dick about this, Ireland would need to not be so reliant on a player um like Johnny Sexton. So for me, there was a part in that World Cup where Sexton should have come off, but he didn't. Like, like if we're going to be ruthless about this, which they're going to have to be, because for if they're going to unpack this World Cup, they're going to have to look at something. I mean, I could be completely wrong, but that Sexton situation, it was written in the stars, and I think that that emotional moment got too much. Like, he can do it. We've seen him do it for Ireland so many times, so many times, but he was looking much. So... You know, they've got to do stuff like that. They've got to rotate things, maybe. I don't know. I think, but again, Cooks, you, you're right. Like, they couldn't have done anything else except just win the game. There was there was no tactical space. There was no bad decisions made. Like, it was just that everything was great about them. They just didn't do it. Yeah, I think there's a few, I mean, France, I guess, similarly, a few, play, few teams that category. And... I guess the positives for both is that they've got really good young stock. They've obviously Ireland was also in the final of the under twenties just now. They've been having probably the best under twenties program along with France in the last few years. So they should be sorted there. They should also put Bandiaki in like ice until 2027, because wow, in, in in the World Cup. Okay, let's oh. do a few quick hits on some of the rest of the teams. Cooks Wales, do they just disband the dragons? No, 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 no. Don't you come here? Don't you come here, Tyler, and make me talk bad about the dragon? You don't be discarded the scarlet. He doesn't need to prompt you to do it. You do it all by yourself anyway. 
I've forgiven the dragons. The scholars are now my new, my new enemy now. Those guys who came into <laughs> Africa. They just came how to boost dragons, our economy, those guys. How did the dragons pull themselves out of the shits and what did the scholars do to you? I think that's a question on everyone's Sch- lips scholars, and our answer. Scholars just came here to, just, they just came on safe and holiday. They had like regulars, like a side hustle for them. <laughs> they just came here to Pretoria. And also, what pisses about the scholars is they chose a terrible tour to just be shit. Like, they in Pretoria, they wanted to do in Pretoria. Then they went to Cape Town, and they played in Stellenbosch. So they didn't even go to Cape Town. Like, huh? it's like me planning <laughs> a trip to Europe, and then going and then going to flipping Prague, and then going to, um, and then I go to Prague, and then going to the worst parts of Italy. Like, I didn't go to the main places. I didn't go like, to Madrid or things like that. That's <laughs> like scholars. That's why I don't like scholars. But I think um, for Wales, oh, Wales, man, the world is tough. tough. I, think it's, I think it's, you got to let go of all the oldest players. I think Warren Catlin now can start from scratch. There's a, there's a few promising youngsters coming through. There's a few guys yeah. there that you can build around. But but it's Cooks, Warren uh, Walk on Warren Ball for another four years. Yeah. Cooks, but even I mean, even though I think Warren Gat Gat's returned back to 27. He signed until 27. He ain't gonna be there. Gat's ain't gonna be how, there. How very Eddie Jones is there. Gat's not gonna be there. Looking uh, at the log though, at the URC log, Ospreys have two wins out of four. Scarlets have one win out of three. Cardiff is one win out of three. And Dragons has zero wins out of four. Like, I'm not sure what you can build as like a good sustainable team that's, yeah, like beyond obviously Gatlin Magic and Warren Ball and all that sort of stuff if your your um, domestic teams aren't even performing. No, I think I think with Wales, it's, they, go, they go as far as Warren Gatlin takes it. So if Warren Gatlin just gets the next World Cup, He'll find a way. He'll find a plan. He's probably the most important person in Welsh rugby. So if he's still there, which I don't know if he's got another, I don't. Know, I just think sometimes, like I, I, the way he spoke about the situation in Wales last year, he was like, "If I knew this was the situation, I would have taken the job." And I think it's going to get worse Remember before that. it gets better. Yeah, just for the World Cup, it's like, "Oh, if I knew this, I would have taken the job." So I think it's, they're going to get worse before they get better, but. The most important thing for Wales is to try to find a way to keep Warren Gatlin there until 2027 and hope domestically things turn around. Because now, what? if you already change the law, the rules now, there's no one team has to one for one team from each like, conference or region has to make the Champions Cup. So you could sit in a situation where there's no teams in the Champions Cup, no Welsh sides in the Champions Cup next year. Yeah, the thing about Gatlin is he's the most uneager guy on the planet. He doesn't mind playing 10-man rugby. He couldn't give a rat. But that's an interesting one, Tyler, like talking about Wales and where they're going to go. I think first thing they need to do is they need to allow any Welsh player that's playing in the Premiership to qualify for Wales. I think that's their first step. Yeah, they true. need to fix that shit. Like they've got some quality players in the mix. Um, Hawkins, is it Hawkins? Yeah, I'm doubting myself. I mean, he's he's brilliant. But having said that, that the Welsh didn't really have a problem in the midfield. That 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 is the one thing that I will say. I don't think their midfield was leaky. But yeah, you know they've got you know they've got guys that can they've got opportunity to have better guys, and I think they really need it. Yeah, look, I think we'll judge Wales by how much do you actually want to watch a Wales regional team in the RC at the moment. Unfortunately, like. If you see, like, if I see my balls or, like, a African team is against them, I'm like, eh, I'll give that a skip. Okay, let's 
try to finish this. Um, Sean, let's go. Uh, I'm going to keep the, Okay, Cooks, let's go with Scotland. Let's give you the floor. Oh, I don't know. Where do, I, where do you even go, Scotland? Oh, I don't know. Just like find a way. And just, can, can, can they just stop, stop beating England and then lose it the next week? Like, just, like, I think that's the big one. I think with Scotland is they've got, they do have a base to build from. I think they, and they, and they do have good sides coming through. I mean, you look at Ben Healy, I thought he was very good for Edinburgh, like watching the highlights on the weekend of him. Um, and then, um, like, they've got players, they've got players coming through. I mean, Gregor Town is there. So, for me, the biggest thing is the consistency, not this thing of having two great games a year. Is not it's not going to serve them well because they got in that World Cup and they needed to be consistent. They needed to have needed two big performances, whether it's against the Springboks or against Ireland, and they put up stinkers in both. So when you when you when you need Scotland the most, when the when the big occasion comes when they step up, they always falter. It's 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 it's, it's like clockwork. So I think that's good for them. It's a mental shift of. Goodness. And they have a good enough side to challenge Six Nations. We've seen that. But it can't just be one Calcutta Cup and then, and then yeah, from there, from there we'll go lose to Wales the next week or we'll lose Calcutta Cup and oh, we put a spread of performance against, against Ireland. They're too good. They're, they're too good of a side to be like that. So I'm interested to see how they develop from there. But I think, yeah, I think I, I won't be surprised. The next two years, I think I'll probably have a, a similar group of players, the same core players. I think they're still I think Craig Townsend has found something in this group, but it just can't get them to fire when they when they need to fire. That's for me is going to be the big difference thing. If Craig Townsend can't get them a top two place in the next two six nations, then unfortunately I think come 2025 he needs to go. It's the hope that kills, eh? What I will say about Scotland is the losses and how they went out of this World Cup should, and I'm hoping will, build them better as a team. Because you're right in that they are gonna they've got a core that can stick together. Um, they've got they've got enough guys to hang around. So they need to figure out how to manage themselves when someone is absolutely cutting Duan Funamava or Darcy Graham or Carl Stein out, out wide if they're cutting them to shreds or and nullifying the, the most exciting attacking midfield out there. You know, They need to figure out how to work around that space. I really feel they've got the players. I think they've got the loose forwards. I think they've, they've, they've got the, the, the pack. Um, yeah, they just need to figure out how to overcome that mental space in a game because it was... A case of like, we are we we made against the Springboks. They made one line break. We scrambled, flipping well, and got away with it. They didn't score, but then after that, they were nowhere. Like, how do you change things up? How do you manage it in game to sort things out so you can force the team to not focus on your wingers? Because I'm not saying don't use your wingers again and don't use your 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 lucrative attacking flair, but. Make the team focus on something else for five, ten phases or five, ten minutes, and then you 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 spike them out wide. Uh, I don't think Scotland gets to the top, like the top table of international teams until they sort out of their tight five. 
number one. Number two, they need to find a game plan that's just less Finn reliant. So he can't be the guy that's making the most carries and the most pa- like most passes as well. Like they need to be able to, you know, insert Finn obviously when and his talents when 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 there's opportunity and let the game come to him instead of him running everything because it's pretty much shut Finn down. You pretty much shut the whole attack down. Um Sean, let's finish off with the Wallabies. <laughs> this Ooh. might be a long one. Oh. Who's going to coach them, firstly? They haven't announced the coach yet. Steve Hansen. I, uh, I, <laughs> yeah. Who wants to coach them? That's the yeah, good question. I, the, best, the, best the best team you could coach right now is the Wallabies. The absolute best. The same as, as when, when Rusty Rasmus came into the mix uh, when Alice Gutier left. When you pick up a team that is the lowest they've ever been in their life and they hate everything and everyone, then you can go there. Because if you shit, then you are just like everyone else. But if you're good, then you're a legend. I, the Wallabies, are, you know me, I'm all about balance. Like You can't just cut everyone down and say you can only have like youngsters and all that sort of stuff. They've got enough, but there's other stuff. I mean, Marky Mark, Mark Nawanaka Tawasi is rumored to be moving to NRL. Like if they start losing their best players, then they're in shit. Like they're in deeper shit than we thought. But yeah, I, I'm interested to see what happens and where they go because they they probably have the longest journey but they have an opportunity but the problem that they have is they have alliance tour alliance tour almost hurt the spring box because you know you you don't have opportunity to to blood youngsters and do whatever you need to do because you want to win alliance tour like is that alliance tour going to be a freebie for the next coach like you don't want that that comes around like once every every lifetime so Oh, we're in for some interesting times. They just need to make better decisions with the players they've got in terms of balancing the starting and the bench and all that sort of jazz. I think they've got what it takes, but they're better than what they've performed recently. Yeah, it's tough to... I mean, there's so many structural things to fix before you can expect the Wallabies to be, you know, any good right now, honestly. Like, similar to, I guess, what we were talking about with Wales, like... The domestic teams, for the most part, I, I, I pretty much except for the Brumbies, are usually not that good. You're not really producing good young players. Um, you know, obviously they're competing with other um sports that are similar as well in the Aussie market. So, you know, what do you do? Who can you build around? I think in terms of the coach thing, it yeah, they need to stop going back to X's. So. Don't phone Checker back. Don't phone Dean's back. Don't 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 do that. Don't phone Ian McKenzie back. Like they need to just back a young coach and just sort of say to him, "Look, I would got love McKenzie to be back. I would like, love him no, to be back." No, 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 don't go back to your ex unless you're in Wales, think, which works for them. I think McKenzie has got unfinished business. He left not when they were shit. He left because of that whole hoorah with one of the ladies there. I wouldn't mind having him back. Yeah, but I would, he's also been out of rugby for ages. Yeah, I would it's like go. A Hanukkah, a move. I would phone Dan McKellar 
and phone Le- Lester and just get him out of his contract somehow. And it's a great shot, eh? And get Stephen Long. Get get the Brumby set up basically. That will give you at least a fighting chance with 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 these games. Um with, with the next four years. Cooks. Tell her, you know what I'll do. Number one, I'll fire the person that thought that you're hiring Eddie Jones was the right time to do and just basically messed up Dave and his three-year plan. That person who made that call, even if they made it around the water cooler and, and plant the seed, he has to go. That, that person must go. And then number two, I get an aeroplane, I go back to France, I go straight to La Rochelle, I sit Ronald Gora down and I, tell him, and I tell him this. In four years' time, we host the Rugby World Cup. In two years' time, we've got the Lions Trail. You've got caught blonde for the next two years in, two, in terms of how we play. In terms of how a domestic team plays, in terms of how, how how the Wallabies play, you're giving him a director of rugby slash head coaching job and saying, we need to fix our rugby. We've seen what you've done at La Rochelle. We've seen the work and the the basically the learnings you got from Crusaders. So I'm going to, I'm going to run a car and say, but you got a blank canvas. Because I do think the Wallabies, there are youngsters there that can build something. They really did show glimpses of what there could be. And I, mm-hmm. and, I, and, I, and I almost felt, even under Dave Rennie, it was not a 2023 job, it was a 2027 job. Yeah. But obviously, with the, with the likes of Cooper and Foley. But I think the Wallabies, for them, the most important decision now is getting a great coach in. They don't need... I think Dave McKellar is great, but it's not like Dave McKellar or Gora. Someone who's built something. Someone who's built oh. something and sort of learned. They don't need a old-timer who's just coming in there, like a John Mitchell, for example, to just come... Like, oh, John, is your experience or even even even, even someone like a Jamie Joseph, you've seen what he's done with Japan and the state. But I do, for me, like Ronald Gora, I'm sitting him down and telling him, but this, because I do think that Wallaby job is, it's a very interesting job in terms of with the World Cup there in four years and the, and the British and Irish Lions job, because even the Lions job, you don't have that much to lose because of the mess that you're in. But that can be a great sort of start and like, okay, I've got two years. Let me see what I can get into with the Lions tour. Then learnings from there. If if we lose 3 0, okay, what where did we go wrong? Okay, took those learnings, go to the next World Cup at home. So if I was if that's what I'll do if I was Australia, I'm sitting on a corridor, I'm giving a blank canvas on our entire rugby program and saying, but what do we have to do to get you from France to Australia and take over and take over our rugby program? Yes, that's a great shot, Ronan Okara. Yo, Cooks, didn't even think of that. That's brilliant. Yeah, the question is, can they afford them? If, you know, Australia's apparently taking out, like, more loans and to fund their rugby the next few years, they said <clears throat> no to private equity funding um, for the next few years. Like, yeah, it's... Australia, I think if they want to make 2027 work, they need to throw money at the problem and throw money at the right people, like Cooks has suggested. But I don't even know if they even have that. Like, Sean, if the whole rumor about Nawakanitawase is also true, like, you throw money at that man to try and make him stay. Like, I wonder if Australia even has the resources to to try and fix those problems. Yeah, he must stay. Like, the only guy of that one a handful, the only backline player of that World Cup that dominated that you could literally say he was the only backline player that really, really, really put his hand up. And if he's gonna go, I this could be a great bluff move on his part. 
start the rumors, <laughs> renegotiate your contracts, and voila. Parking space. They, they need a, the Wallabies. <laughs> but like, but tell us, Sean, the Wallabies need a good 2024. Like, not just like their rugby depends on in Australia. It's, it's they, exactly, it's, it's exactly it's like, that. It depends on them showing something in 2024. Like, what Eddie Jones has done needs to be put in a podcast. It is a documentary <laughs> on how you take a union 55 steps backwards. Oh, like, the whole country's ready for fastest backwards. It's a mess with him, Eddie Jones, and all those executives. They actually need to be sued. That's what he's telling. They need to be sued by World Rugby and Bill Beaumont as to how can you mess up an entire country's rugby? How? And, like, <laughs> now, now we give one of your best players trying to go and join RRL. If, if he leaves, no many players are going to follow. They'll be like, why should I, why should I come and play Super Rugby? So, Whatever the Wallabies is, yes, they say might not have money. Go get the equity fund. Ask Drew Mitchell for maybe one million rand for this last contract to make you find ways to buy out Ron O'Gara because they might not have any rugby in their country because it's the rugby in Australia is really in a mess. And now it's Eddie Jones. And then he, they were were two feet underground. Now they're four feet underground. If they have a good year next year, they could be six feet done. Then it's then it's then and then it's and then I don't know what's gonna happen. So they need a good 2024. Like just show something. Just like win 65, 70%, beat the all blacks. Maybe don't beat, us. beat the spring box for a game. No, you shut like, your mouth. Sean, we can't play we can't play rugby in Australia. I don't know for some reason we just can't. So like we play them twice next year away from home. There's a good chance we lose one of those. It's just in our contract. It's in our DNA. We play shit against Wales. And Pollard will look like Australia. someone that hasn't played rugby before as well. <laughs> I've like, accepted those in my life. Those are losses in my life that I've accepted. I don't even get angry about them anymore. So I just think for Australia, oh man, guys, Joe, what he did actually, he's like, you know, Netflix, you got those, those true crime special. <laughs> <laughs> like true crime documentaries. That's what he said. Did you put on there? Because it's, it's, it's a crime what he did to Australian rugby. <laughs> yeah. The last thing I'll say about the Wallabies is I think those people that said they need their own um, super rugby competition are actually right. I think they need to play as play less with New Zealand or against New Zealand. I mean, that's probably not good for rugby in that region, but they need to just get... <sighs> some momentum going and i think the only way to do it is to have their own competition celebrate the brumbies and the reds or whoever wins there for that to 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 feel good avoid playing new zealand like you avoid like someone's someone's cause if you owe them money never play them like as far as possible and try to like spring a surprise on them like in a few years time like I think it almost has to be that they just have to play teams that they can beat at least for the next, like at least for the next year or so, so they can just build some momentum. I mean, luckily, I guess for them, their 2024 July series against Wales. So that's not the toughest um, series in the world. Wales aren't the best travelers. I mean, they did almost beat the Springboks now uh, in 2022, but yeah, like it's the, the situation just becomes so it's murdered so much incompetence and um, yeah, like just there's so many questions and dead ends. And when you're trying to figure out how to get Australian rugby going again, and 
they just need to get wins. And even if it's pity wins, even if it's against Papua New Guinea, who cares? Like, just get wins into the system now. Remember when Brumbies and the Reds, you would literally say the games of the year. Like, if you took, if you could rank sure. rugby games the year, Brumbies and the Reds would put up absolute, absolute crackers. Even, but games are the host of a rugby season, and now... It's just, it's just a mess. Uh, like it's, it's a travesty what happened to Australia last year. As much as I don't like Australians, but like what Eddie Jones did is, it, it, I can't believe it. Like it's, it actually blows my mind now that I've stepped away. But again, this is what happens when you play rugby on a Thursday. Uh, I was waiting this for it. This is what yes. happens. Bad things happen to good people when they do bad things, and it happened to Australia. Play test on a Thursday. Now you might never might never rugby in your country again. So for them, they better <laughs> next year play every single game at night, twelve o'clock our kickoff time. You know, in the afternoon, don't do any funny business. No test matches at four in the morning. Um, what do you call it? Players um, not cup in the afternoon. No one gives a shit about afternoon games anymore. Do the right thing. Say thank you to the rugby gods. Apologize, and maybe your rugby will get back to normal. See, this thing of trying to be fancy and playing on a Thursday, playing matches in cricket stadiums because John Eels once played a match there in, 99, in 1964, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Just go back to the basics. Then you're rugby. They won two World Cups in the basics. Now look at them. Now they're literally about to get, if, if there's a relegation system in rugby, they'll be, they'll be, we'll talk about them getting relegated next year. We'll start playing there with, with um, Tonga and those guys. I think Australia was going to tier two for one year to find themselves. Just tier two <laughs> rugby for just for just to find themselves for a bit. Play with Japan. Remember Japan, like um, Portugal. Play against like uh, England A. Play against um, Ireland A. Just to figure things out if, if they can't find a coach. While they're just trialing guys. Like Michaela can coach one game, Magara one game, or McKenzie one game. Just while they figure things out. Okay, guys, I think we have to end it there. Unfortunately, we will... Do a bit of a catch up on the URC, I think, in another podcast, um, and just <laughs> try to figure out what's going on there. Um, I guess the good news is if you're from Pretoria, the bulls are at the top. The bad news is if you're from Durban, the sharks are at the bottom. So at least there's some balance in South African rugby right now, holding first and sixteenth position. Um, but yeah, that ah. was. Well, I mean, that that works for us. I think the storm is all eighth as well. So this is why I say tell it. This is why I say tell us an asshole. Because he knows it's because the Bulls fan. It's still this it's good thing in this project because you're an asshole for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and shout out to the Bulls for discovering the next big thing in 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 Cameron Hanukum as well. I mean, I guess Wales will probably try to contact him because apparently he has some Welsh heritage. Um, but yeah, we'll talk and get through all of that sometime, um, maybe the next week or so. But yeah, let's end it there. Thank you so much for listening to the Rugby Bits podcast. Please follow us on our social media channels and um, follow us and, and 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 follow our content as well as we update you on what's happening in the rugby world. And please um, also just follow us on every podcast platform on Apple, on Spotify, Google Podcasts, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and Podbean as well, and like and share this podcast with the with your with with the rest of the rugby world as well. We'll be trying to do a few things over this next few months, maybe a few interviews or whatever the case is. But yeah, we'll try to get to spice up the content as we go to the end of the year. Thanks, everyone. Bye bye.